Hi, it's Ian Altman. Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast. I am joined by the talented, brilliant Meredith Elliott Powell, and we are talking today about the notion of follow-up in sales, something that is often the scene of epic failures. And before we get into that, Meredith, can you give people a little bit of your background so they have a, a sense of just how brilliant you are? Yeah, so I don't know, you set me up really well. So I'm a business growth and sales strategist, and my passion is helping my clients turn all of this uncertainty into their competitive advantage. And most people know that I'm probably best recognized for this book I co-wrote with Jack Quarles called Same Side Selling, all about how we turn those adversarial traps where buyer and seller are butting heads together and how we get people on the same side working together, kind of putting a puzzle together. So Meredith, we're talking about this idea of sales follow-up. I know this is a topic that you're passionate about and teach a lot about. So kick us off. What are the biggest mistakes that you see people make when it comes to sales follow-up? Well, let's let's just start with a simple one. They don't. They don't follow up. I mean, they might once or twice, but they don't stay in it for the long game. And I am just a passionate believer that the sale happens in the follow-up. It always happens in the follow-up. So 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 what do you mean by that when you say that that people don't follow up? Because of course, we don't want the person who's just I often say that the way people follow up today often sounds like this, like, hey, I'm just calling to check in, see if you made a decision yet. And you're basically a tin cup and a cardboard sign away from begging at that point. It's like, you know, just start investing in Sharpies and cardboard. And it's like, oh, just just checking in. God bless. I mean, we need a better way to follow up. So when you say people don't follow up, what do you mean? Well, let's just say um, checking in and God bless are probably two statements that shouldn't be used in in follow-up. But I guess what I mean is the fact that, first of all, we've all heard the research that the average salesperson gives up after two to three times. Um, It takes a person eight to ten touches or messages to make a decision. I don't know where that research comes from. I can't cite it at this point. But let's get into it this way, is that what do you think the chances are that you are going to interact with a customer at the exact moment they are ready to buy? Like they got up this morning, looked in the mirror and said, please, God, if nothing else happens to me today, please let a sales rep call on me. The chances of that are like slim to none. So even if you have a really great conversation, Ian, Ian, I call on you and boy, you are just hot to buy. By the time I get off that Zoom call, I walk out of your office, here's what happens is all of a sudden your best customer just brought a really big deal into your office. Your top um, employee just fell and broke her leg and she's going to be out for the next couple of weeks. And your kid got a D on his report card. And all of a sudden, the conversation you had with me is no longer a priority. So I reach out once or twice. You don't respond. I assume that hot conversation was a figment of my imagination. You went somewhere else or you're no longer interested. None of which is true. Yeah. You know what? It's, it's, a, it's a great perspective that I think is lost on a lot of people, which is I'll ask reps, so right after you left their office, what do you think happened? And people will guess on all sorts of things. And I said, look, it's simpler than that. Life happened. Yeah. Someone got in a car accident. Like you said, their, their child had a, had a D. Somebody's pregnant. It could be good news. It could be bad news. It doesn't matter. The point is that something happened that took their attention away from whatever it is that you were hoping to sell. 
And it doesn't mean that what you were hoping to help them solve isn't important anymore. It's just no longer top of mind. And right. that notion of follow-up then can't be just what we're trying to sell, but instead it's a perspective of what are we helping them solve? I often say that, that in the world of sales, you can either show up as someone who's there to sell something or someone who's there to solve something. And we want to make sure we're always showing up as someone who's there to solve, not sell. Because when I'm following up with somebody, if I'm following up for my reasons, they don't care. If I'm following up for their reasons, now I might actually have their attention. Yeah. And I think you need to, I think it needs to be balanced between two things. I used to just think that follow-up was about helping this issue get back to the top of their priority list, which I still think it is. I mean, that's where you're adding value, making it priority. And I think it needs to be balanced with making it even easier to buy from you, making it so simple. Think about, um, think about how many things you would buy if it was easy to do so. I mean, I think about things all the time. Like the other day I was actually, um, actually told you I put my cell phone in a lake and I can't tell you how complicated it was to get another cell phone. And it sucked two days out of my life. Yeah. If some other carrier would have shown up and said, we're going to bring the phone to your house. We're going to take you, keep doing what you're doing. We'll get all your contacts uh, uploaded and it's the extra hundred bucks to do it. I'd have done it without blinking, exactly. you know? So, so it's a common, you know, when, when people go dark on you, I think it's partly you're no longer a priority, but I also think it's like, uh, it's complicated. I just don't have time and it's not on fire right now. I, I think that that's valuable insight for people to take away, which is too often we make it too difficult or yeah. we have a meeting and we might ask all the right questions. So we ask them, you know, what is it that piqued your interest? What were you hoping to solve? What happens if you don't solve that? How important is this compared to other things? What does success look like? Who else, who else should we include in this process? We ask all these great questions and then we keep it all to ourselves. And we don't send a follow-up note that says, so Meredith, in our conversation, I took some detailed notes. I hope you don't mind. It, this is kind of a long read, but I've summarized everything. Let me know what I got wrong. And now we have this detailed document that provides, in essence, a business case for them that says, here's what you told me you're trying to solve. Here's why you told me it was important enough to solve it. Here's what success is going to look like. And here's who else we need to get involved. Now that I have that information, if I don't hear back from them, I'm not calling up saying, hey, just calling to check in, want to see if you want to buy our stuff. Instead, I get to call up and say, so Meredith, I'm looking through my notes. It mentioned that if you didn't solve this, it was going to cost your organization $3 million a year. I haven't heard back. I want to make sure I hadn't dropped the ball. And now what happens is you're following up for their reasons where the, the client or prospect says, you know, that's a really good point. Yeah, you know, we forgot about that. See, my kid got a D on their report card. I dropped my cell phone on the lake. The dog ate my homework. My kid got in a car accident. And I forgot how pressing this was. Thanks for sending me this reminder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, sometimes even things as hot as that, they go cold. And my favorite follow-up email is to send, you know, let's assume, again, we had a great conversation. I could really do um, some phenomenal things for your business. It's an urgent problem for you. You go dark on me. I, you know, I send my business case out. Nothing. 
My next email out to you um, is going to be, Ian, I know you're busy. I know you've got a lot on your plate. I don't want you to worry about following up with me. I am going to take the burden and I'm going to follow up with you. Every now and then you'll you'll get an email from me or a phone call from me, just sending some things that I think would be of value that are going to help to continue to solve this problem. Don't worry about responding. When you are ready, I want to be there and I want to be visible to help you out. What I just did with that email is number one, I bought myself permission to continue to be persistent. The second is I got the buyer off the hook of going, oh my God, Meredith, you not understand. I'm getting 150 emails every 10 minutes. I want to buy from you, but I can't handle you right now. So I took the burden off that they have to respond, but I don't want them when they're ready to buy to have to remember who I am or what my contact information is or how to get a hold of me. Because what's going to happen is my competitor is going to slip in there and this guy's going to be in, you're going to be too embarrassed to call me back because you never responded to any of my stuff. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I think there's so much great insight there. Here's what I want you to share with people. Cause I think that some people, some people could go down a scary path with this. And so I want you to share with us when you're now sending that additional information. So every week or two, you're sending information I want people to pay attention. Listen to what Meredith is going to tell you and what type of information she's going to be sending because it's not every couple of weeks or every week, hey, have you made a decision yet? Do you need a copy of the PO? What type of follow-up are you sending them? Yeah. Well, I'm going back to um, the interview, like you said, where I took copious notes and I understand their primary, their secondary, and even their tertiary issues, problems, and challenges. And so now... I'm sending follow-up information that is value add. I am sending them an article that I think is of interest for them. I might be inviting them to a presentation that either I'm doing or some of my peers are doing that address the exact issue. I may connect them with somebody that would be a good colleague or peer that I think that they could do um, business with. I go into 70% value add mode where it is all about them. 30% of the time during that follow-up, I ask for the business. And it's got to be a combination of both because I've made the mistake where somebody said, I want to buy from you. Um, things are crazy right now. And I just nurtured it. And I never went back and directly asked for the business. And by the time I did that, they'd moved on. But it is that balance. I've perfected that of 70-30. And you make such a great point. Please never send a follow-up that says, I'm just checking in. The yeah. moment that's in there, take it out. Those are just, you might as well be putting four letter words in the follow-up title. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and and we don't just mean sell, sell, sell. So yeah. that's, um, yeah. I, I, and I, I think that what, what I want to make sure that people get out of this is the notion that we're following up in their interest. So, so what Meredith pointed to here is this notion of, hey, you mentioned that you had this challenge. Here's a case study on someone who had that same type of challenge. Here's an article I ran across the other day that is someone else facing the same thing that you're facing. Doesn't even have anything to do with what we sell. I just want you to know that you're not alone. And if you're connecting the dots, what happens is they feel like, you know, Meredith understands us and our situation better than anybody else. And there's some research that shows that when people, especially when they're buying services, 
they're most highly influenced by how well they feel the vendor understands and connects with their situation. And the best way we do that is by sharing information that shows that we understand what they're going through. So it always cracks me up when companies will go to present to a small to mid-market company and they give three case studies of how they helped Fortune 100 companies. And I'm thinking, what do you think is going through the buyer's mind at that point? What's going through their mind at that point is, we're too small for these people. They're not going to give us any attention because they just help bigger companies. So in my prior business, we had, we had a software company and we sold to large enterprise customers and smaller businesses. And when, when a smaller business would say, well, we see how you helped you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield. We see how you helped this major pharmaceutical company. I would say, you know, we did. And the interesting thing is their challenge it's very similar to yours. In fact, let me give you an example of this smaller organization. I wouldn't say smaller organization. Let me give you an example of this other organization that I think is roughly the same size as you guys. They're, they're about 200 people. Isn't that what you guys are? Oh, yeah, we're 220. Okay. So they had the same problem, in essence, that this big pharmaceutical company had. And here's the way we addressed that. How similar do you think that is to your situation? So I'm not saying to them, and it's the same as your company. Instead, I share all the attributes, and then I let them decide how similar is that to them. And they say, oh, that's just like us. Okay, that's great. Where do you think some of the differences might be? I don't think there'd be any differences. And now what they've just told you is, well, if it worked for them, it's going to work for us. But it was their conclusion, not us imposing that conclusion on them. Yeah. You know, you said something so important and that people buy from you because you understand them, not because they understand you. And, and I think that is a fatal mistake we make as salespeople, but it's a big one we make at, in, um, in follow-up. We keep trying to convince the um, buyer why we're the best person and the best product to buy from. And when somebody goes dark on you, the first skill you need in sales at that point is empathy. You need to do the old Stephen Covey, seek first to understand what's going um, on. Because there's two reasons I think we don't follow up. Number one is we worry we're going to be annoying. Well, if you reach out to me every couple of days and you're just checking in or ask me if I'm ready to buy, you're not only annoying, you are so annoying that even if I want the product and even if I like to in the initial sale, I'm not going to buy from you because you have irritated the fire out of me. And remember, I control the buying cycle. I can buy the product from somebody else. The other is we assume people aren't interested. We're back to where we started is the moment you walk out of that sales call virtually or, or live and in person, other things happened in their lives. I hope that you are calling on incredibly busy people because if not, they don't have any money to buy from you anyway. So you need to understand that they've got a lot going on. Don't take that personally. This has nothing to do with you. And in fact, the sale starts when you get into the follow-up. How does your team measure up against others when it comes to being on the same side with your clients or prospects? Find out at samesideselling.com slash scorecard to take the Same Side Selling assessment. And if you want to learn more about the Same Side Selling Academy, visit samesideselling.com. So many things to unpack there. That idea of the sale starts when you get in the follow-up is something that I think is too often lost because people go, they meet with somebody and they assume, 
okay, well, I didn't get the sale, so now what? I just move on. It's like, no, no. It's it's the notion, and you've said this in, in prior episodes, this idea of, look, you're not trying to get married at the first meeting. You're dating. So you're trying to build some rapport and, get, and gain comfort. The other interesting thing that I've noticed is this, is that when you're asking a lot of questions about their situation and when you ha- take a sincere interest in whether or not there's a fit, the client or prospect actually asks fewer questions about your qualifications. Because here's what happens. Somebody has to be in the position to evaluate whether or not your skills and services and products are a fit for their needs. If you come in and present everything about you, subconsciously what happens is they say, well, they don't know enough about us, so I better vet them to see if they're a good fit. If we ask a ton of questions about their situation, then what happens is the client or prospect says, well, they're still talking to us, so they must have a good solution because they understand everything about us. And they feel like it's now your responsibility, not theirs, to evaluate the opportunity. And it's fascinating because for my clients who get this down really well, their their comment is, yeah, I mean, the sales cycle is happening a whole lot faster, but but we're not telling them anything about what we do. And it's like, because they don't care. They just want to know that you that they're in good hands. Yeah, it's it's kind of like um, a death by proposal, um, right? <laughs> I mean, you just put you just put too much information in there, and you talk too much about about yourself. And again, it's back to that notion of follow up. Is follow up is not about you. It is about them. And it is about saying, what can I do to help them understand that what we uncovered was a really significant problem? And what can I do to help them understand our solution can actually make um, their lives easier? And then how can I help them understand that we can make this effect, uh, you know, efficient and effective and not something that's laborsome and, and time consuming? That it's something we can put into effect and is actually going to benefit the company on on you know in the long run, and that's how you need to think about follow up. You know, Ian, I am so passionate about follow up. I feel like it is the lost part of the sales cycle. You can take so much training on identifying your ideal customer profile, on how to prospect, on how to have the right sales conversation, and then the art of the close. But rarely. You go into a company and you see they have a strong follow-up strategy. It's methodically thought out about how they'll follow up, what kinds of things they're going to do to add value, you know, how they kind of grade their follow-ups into A, Bs, and Cs. There's very little of that. And if you're looking for competitive advantage, it happens in that follow-up. I love that. I think I think it's just so there's there's so much value in that. I want to recap all this and try and give a 30-second recap. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave ample time for you to fill in the blanks because I know I'm going to miss some of this because there's so much brilliance that you shared. I want to make sure it isn't lost. So that first notion is the biggest mistake people make with follow-up is they just don't do it. And so they fail to follow up. And then the second biggest mistake is that when they follow up, they follow up all about themselves as the seller instead of having that empathy about what the client situation is. We didn't recognize that as soon as we're done with the meeting, no matter how well it went, that probably life happened for the client or prospect, which means we need to follow up in a way that is something that is 70% adding value to your point and 30% remembering to ask for the business, meaning, hey, I've shared this, I've shared that. 
does, this, does it make sense for us to take a closer look at how we might be able to help you? It's not a bad way to ask that question to see, to see on the follow-up and make sure that we're always focusing on where we're adding value for them and not just talking about ourselves. So I'm sure there's some stuff that I overlooked, Meredith. I, th I think you I think you did a great job. I think you summed it up with so many of the key points. The only other things that I would add is that number one, people do business with you because you they understand you understand them, not because they understand you. And you need a strategy. You need to take the time to sit down as a team and really define how you're going to follow up, what those value add um, pieces are going to be. I want to throw in one more just because we didn't talk about it, but I'm a big um, I'm a big follow or upper with the 11th hour letter. Let's just assume I lost a nice big fat piece of business to you. I don't let the relationship go at that point. I'll reach out and I'll say, Ian, Ian was a fabulous um, choice. You made a good decision. I know you're really going to be happy. If at any point you find you need other services, something additional or things just don't work out with Ian, please feel free to reach back out to me and I'm going to stay in touch as well. The reason I do that is that I want to make sure that at any moment that if the relationship with a vendor doesn't work, they feel comfortable reaching back out um, to me or there's some other service I could provide. Always leave that door open. Just because you lose doesn't mean you're going to lose forever. That That is such great advice. It's something that I haven't heard you share in the past. And I love that notion of making sure that, in essence, we don't want to leave on bad terms. So they chose somebody else. That's totally fine. I'm sure you're in great hands. And if I can be of, of any service in the future, reach out, love to be able to help. And that way they know, oh, so they're not bitter about this at all. And then if something doesn't happen, which we know, unfortunately, statistically, is pretty frequent, they feel comfortable coming back to you. They don't feel like they have to come back you know, with their tail between their legs or hat in hand, they can come back with a smile and say, yeah, maybe we didn't make the best choice there. We'd love to talk to you again. That's, that's a brilliant idea. So Meredith, what's the best way for people to connect with you and to learn more about how you help uh, different businesses? Well, I'm a big believer if you build your network, it will change your life. You can reach me at my website, which are just the words valuespeaker.com, just valuespeaker.com, or connect with me on the LinkedIn uh, platform. I tend to hang out there more than any other social media channel. Excellent. And likewise for me, LinkedIn is the best place to connect with me. Just mention the Same Side Selling podcast or, or be transparent and say, hey, I'm just trying to sell you something. But hopefully it's someone just trying to connect related to the podcast. And of course, if you visit samesideselling.com, you can learn all about the different resources we have available. Meredith, thank you again. And to our listeners, we will see you on the next episode. 